When I got here at 37, I looked like I was grown up, but I was not. And the journey has been about Bill growing up. So what spiritual condition look like? What are the aspects of it? Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. That was the voice of Mr. Bill C. that you heard at the beginning of this episode from our live event. And you are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first. This episode right here, right now, is going out to Tiffany and Susan and Gerhard. Do you know what Tiffany and Susan and Gerhard did? Well, they went to our website, probably not all at the same time, but they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and they clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution Thank you so much, Tiffany and Susan and Gerhard, for your generosity. And I'm doing little namaste hands right now. You can't see me, but just take my word for it. This episode is coming right out to you guys. So much appreciated. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat around this virtual table and let's get started. Bill C. did a live event with me. I think it's a couple of weeks ago or so now, um, but I have had so many of you, and I was going to delay releasing this, but I had so many of you reach out to me, some via text, uh, some via uh, Instagram, some via Facebook, some via email. Uh, they were coming by land and sea and air and asking me, when are you going to get the Bill C episode released? Because we want to share it with our friends and family. So your wish is my command. Here it is. It's coming out right now. Just after I get through talking, if you want to uh, like fast forward through this couple, three minutes, you could probably start listening to him. Um, the next live event that we are going to have is going to be with Mr. David G on June 5th, Friday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time in the United States Un America. So that's David G, June 5th, Friday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And no matter where you are in this great big world of ours, obviously you can attend if you have a smartphone, if you have a PC, if you have a Mac, if you have an iPad, if you have any sort of device that has access to the internet, you can click on that little Zoom link and come on in and join us. And we would love to have you there. I'll be asking David G a few questions on the front end, and then I'm going to let you Sober Speak listeners, join in on the party and ask your questions to David during the event. Uh, uh, last time with Bill C, that was just an, and that was really an enjoyable part of the entire event. All of that information is displayed 
prominently, is that how you would say it, on our website, www.soberspeak.com. It's also on Instagram. It's also on Facebook. If you have any questions and you want to reach out to my way at John, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com regarding the event, feel free to reach out my way. I'll also be sending out an email or possibly two uh, regarding the event. So uh, once again, we're coming at you by land and air and sea regarding the event. All right, let's just go straight into Mr. Bill C here tonight. Bill C live. Uh, You're going to hear some fabulous uh, recovery music on the front end of this. Uh, It's two songs to be precise from Mr. Jim S. Uh, I I know you're going to enjoy it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And then Bill is going to be addressing the subject of a spiritual condition in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he basically covers five arenas, powerlessness, how to stop blaming others, Nothing is personal, self-awareness, and compassion. And compassion includes patience, tolerance, and transparency. So let me go over those topics again. Powerlessness, stop blaming others, nothing is personal, self-awareness, and compassion. And once again, keep in mind that we had a Q&A session with Bill C., Following those topics that he, he covered uh, in the Zoom group, it was fascinating, and I will publish that Q&A session as a separate episode. I'm going to try my best to get it out next week. Uh, bear with me, but nonetheless, folks, enjoy Mr. Bill C. Live, and without further ado, here is Mr. Bill C. So you hear that guitar? We can hear it. And you can hear him? Okay. So this is a song I wrote about hitting bottom. This is a step one song. It's called All That I Can Do. Thank you. 
friends and never really know what to do. There's a hole in my soul where the wind blows through. Fill me up, make me feel brand new. Like only you can do. I've got to be strong Just keep doing all these crazy things I do Crazy, but it's true It's all that I can do All I can do It's all that I can do To keep from feeling this pain It's all that I can do Nice, very nice. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I can see all the hands clapping. I know you can't hear it, but there's a bunch of clapping hands out there. This is a song about transformation. It's called Butterfly. Butterfly inside, don't hide. Ride the winds until you find your happiness, which lies on your way. Oh, you prolong, mother, more it goes on, and one day you'll find your own. I may be singing, but you can spread your wings. And you'll never find your way home. No, you'll never find your way home. Butterfly, please let me in. Let this feeling with me begin, oh, play the game of life with love and win. Beauty in your heart I see, if I can help you set that free, that's all I need, with you there, loving Don't you prolong, you just keep pushing on, and one day we'll fly to the sun. Life awaits, but you've got to have faith that one day. All hearts be 
become one Yes, one day All hearts become one Don't you pull on me, just keep pushing on, and one day we'll fly to the sun. Life awaits, but you've got to have faith that one day. All hearts become one Yes, one day All hearts become one Beautiful! Love it. Thank you very much, Mr. Jim. I so much do appreciate that. Yeah, that is just absolutely fantastic. If anybody wants to get a hold of Jim, he's at jimsavage.net. My name's John M. I'm an alcoholic. So good to see you guys. Uh, you know, I don't normally get to see anybody that we're uh, uh, on the podcast, and it's just so good to see all of you coming in here. Uh, from all across the world. Uh, just so exciting. Hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. This is Sober Speak Live. My name is John M., and I'm an alcoholic. And to remind us of why we're here and to focus our thoughts on that purpose, we ask that all who would care to please join me in a moment of silent meditation followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. This is an open meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, which means anyone can attend. First of all, everybody, help me to welcome Mr. Bill C. from Torrance, California. All right, Bill C. Hello, everybody. Uh, what did you say when we first saw each other at the beginning of this meeting? Here we are again, and what? Well, we got to quit meeting like this. People are going to start talking. That's right. My wife may get jealous, Bill. <laughs> so we're going to address uh, several different things tonight. Uh, first of all, Bill C., why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you wish, please. My name is Bill, and I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is March the 27th, 1985. And you just celebrated 35 years of continuous sobriety, correct? I'm very impressed by that. Yeah, as you should be. Yes. <laughs> and you did it all by yourself, right? I did it because I work such a good program, and I'm more intellectual <laughs> than most people. <laughs> All right. So, Bill, just to kind of qualify yourself a little bit, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but go ahead and uh, just tell people, if you would, I guess what kind of an alcoholic you were. How would you describe yourself when you were 
out there in your cups, as uh, Bill Wilson called it. Well, I think the sober story is much more interesting than the drunken one. And now it's longer than the drunken one. But essentially, I was a surfer and a biker and a tough guy. And I never went to the beach. My motorcycle rarely ran. And I was afraid to fight. <laughs> but I looked really good. I had a chrome Nazi helmet for a hat and a primary chain for a belt and black greasy Levi's and big black boots with chains around them. I've got tattoos all over me, but I had a clip on earring because I didn't want to hurt myself. <laughs> okay. My biker nickname was horny. I have it tattooed here on my arm and it's misspelled. Oh no. It's H O R N E Y or nay. <laughs> With an exclamation mark for emphasis. <laughs> That's pretty much all you need to know, I think. <laughs> That'll do it. So, and who came up with the spelling on that uh, tattoo? There were three of us at the tattoo parlor that night. Bert Grimm's tattoo parlor on Long, in Long Beach at the at the old Pike. It was rather a famous old place, as it turned out. But there were three of us, and we all sat down, plus the tattoo artist, and we all determined that that's how you spell horny. Uh, it was a group effort. Me and the three other rocket scientists that night. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's great. All right. So I know that uh, I've been to several talks that you have had recently, and I know one of the things that has been on your mind, if you will, is a, a, a spiritual condition. And actually, what is that? You know, how do you describe it? How do you get in touch with that? So what? What do you, so what would be your thoughts on that, a spiritual condition, and what is it? Well, you know, really what happened, there's a couple of things. One is uh, a couple of months ago, the last time I flew before this lockdown happened, uh, I flew from Los Angeles up to Sonoma to speak at a men's banquet up there. And this guy picked me up, and uh, he was in my age group, older guy like me, about the similar age, and we're driving over to the event. And we're talking to each other, getting to know each other. And he asked me how long I was sober. And I told him, and he said to me, he says, well, I almost had 30 years. So you knew right away it was going to be an interesting conversation. And uh, the story he told was he was 29 years and nine months sober, married to a sober woman who they had met in AA. They were married a long time, loved AA, didn't have any big resentments, no big problems, had kind of not really fully drifted away, but was only stopping into meetings once in a while, seeing his buddies, that kind of a thing, like happens to a lot of us. And, uh, and he had a surgery of some kind, and they gave him some pain medication. And then one day, and he's taking it as directed, you know, everything was okay. There was no big crisis in his life or anything. And him and his wife were going to go to a wedding one day, and he took two of the pills instead of one, so he'd feel a little bit better at the wedding. You know, nobody needed to know that. And just like not a big deal, no big heavy thing. This is a common story that you hear. And, uh, and that started his downhill slide. Three years later, he comes crawling back into AA. At the time I'm talking to him, he's a year and a half, two years sober. He's got a commitment. He's driving, he's the host for the speaker. You know, he's back in AA and he's really glad to be back and everything's cool now, right? That, that kind of a thing. And it really got my attention. It really got my attention. And, uh, the next day I fly back to LA and, and I spoke at another meeting and this woman got up there, the 10 minute speaker told the same damn story. She was 10 years sober. A couple of things happened in her life. She started exhibiting some bad behavior, started drinking. And now she's back a year and a half, two years, you know, with her tail between her legs. And, and, and I just, I, I said to myself, literally sitting in the meeting, pay attention, Cleveland, pay attention. Cause I'm, I'm 35 years sober and I'm an official AA guru I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm very spiritual guy. I got this figured out. I'm not going to drink. Why the hell would I drink? You know, and I, I don't care how you've been around here some years like I have. You feel that way. You know, you feel. Now, the first thing I started thinking of is, am I resting on my laurels? And what are laurels? What is it I've got that I can rest on? You know, right. what, what do I think about this? So I think we're going to rest on our laurels. Not always a good place for us to be. We got to pay attention. The only thing that's going to keep us sober or at least peaceful and happy and content in our lives is going to be a spiritual condition. And we're going to rest on our laurels and we should, should be, watch out for that. 
And we better maintain that spiritual condition if we have one, right? Like, do I have a spiritual condition? Am I, you know, I know a lot of stuff. I've had a lot of experience, you know. I've, I've been, I've never drifted away from AA. I think that's commendable. You know, I've, I've stayed involved. I've been very, very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous the entire time I've been sober. Different levels of enthusiasm, but I've never drifted away. I've always sponsored people. I've done, I think these are the laurels. You know, I can make a list of my good attributes. Is Bill a good guy? You know, does he lie? Does he, you know, let's, let's go down the list and, and see what kind of a guy Bill is. Let's do a spot check inventory and determine whether he's got some laurels that he can rest on, right? And I could come up with some, you know, I could come up with, well, I've, I've done enough in AA. You know, it's someone else's turn now. Jesus, after all I've done for Alcoholics Anonymous, it's time to retire. You know, I mean, like I actually said one time, here, here's a good example of this. This just came to mind right now. This was some years ago, but I started sharing in meetings that, you know, I can't go to the recovery places anymore and, and read the book with guys. That's someone else's job. I've done enough of that. If you want what I have, you have to kind of come and get it. You got to come to my house, right? And I was actually sharing, and I felt okay about saying this. You know, it's like, you know, one of the things about AA is there's no hierarchy in AA, but we kind of think there is, don't we? And if you've been around a while, you think you're part of it. You can't help but think that. I am part of the hierarchy of which we don't have a hierarchy, right? But I'm the, and you hear yourself, like if you record yourself, you can hear yourself say stuff like this, like you got to come and get what I have. I can't deliver. I'm older now and I've done a lot and I need to rest, you know, and you got to come and get it from me. And you know what happens when you do that, when you shoot your mouth off like that, a guy will walk across the room and he'll ask you for help. And he say, I'm locked down in a recovery place. Can you come over there? and read the book with me. Hmm. I mean, that actually happened right in the middle of me saying this over a period of a few months. This guy walked up and said that to me, and I just I, I burst out laughing because what am I going to do? Look at him and say to his face, no, if you don't have a car and you can't come to my house, I'm going to let you die. You know, you know, go find someone else. I don't do that anymore. I've matriculated up, right? So there I am sitting in the backyard of this cheesy-ass recovery house reading the book with this guy <laughs> in a swing out in the grass. You know, it's like, and it, and it was great. It was great. I just, I, I am my best joke, you know? And I think that's kind of the resting on laurels thing. I mean, we start off answering the phone and just saying yes and being a good soldier, right? The most spiritual thing that you'll hear in AA is get in the car. And I got in the car. And then the time came where I started driving the car, right? And which is cool. I mean, I had a car, you know, so now we're going in Bill's car. My sponsor took me on 12-step calls and I started taking guys on 12-step calls, you know, back in the day when we had those things. And, and you know, so what got me to thinking about this stuff, the spiritual condition, you know, we repeat a lot of stuff in AA. We hear other people say it and we pick it up, but do we really understand what that is? You know, can we define these things that we're repeating? And spiritual condition is a big one. My sobriety is contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. What's that look like? How do we get that? Well, here's my contention. Here's what I've come up with. I think there's basically five aspects and there's sinus subgroups of spiritual condition. What does it look like? What is it comprised of? Certainly when we get here, we aren't in very good spiritual shape. And what AA says very specifically is that it treats the spiritual aspect of human nature and the physical and the mental will follow. That's really interesting. Therefore, it's not therapy, is it? In a true sense, it's not psychoanalytical. 
there are aspects of it in the process of the, of the program that gets us in touch with reality, but it really isn't psychotherapy. You know, like the psychotherapeutic community was always very interested in how I felt and what I thought about how I felt. You aren't. <laughs> my, my sponsor told me one time, and in a very compassionate way, that's not what you're interested in. You know, like when I get a new guy, I figure like they'll tell you in, in, in therapy that, you know, feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. Well, all of us in AA know that that's bullshit. <laughs> Some of the ways I feel is just wrong. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I just shouldn't feel the way I feel. I get <laughs> butt hurt over nothing. <laughs> I will create a problem in my head and then attach an emotion to it. Now I have an issue, right? So AA is an interest that my sponsor said to me one time, he says, my job as your sponsor is to guide you through the process of the 12 steps. I'd be happy to sit here and talk to you about what you think your problems are so that you will not share about them in the meetings. The meetings are re for recovery from alcoholism, not about how your day went. <laughs> I told them down there at the Ilano club, they were breaking that rule right and left. Sh should we go tell them? Right. And he said, no, AA is a safe place. You can pretty much say or do anything you want. They really can't kick you out. It's really hard to get kicked out of AA. He says, I'm just describing to you my AA, you know, so thank goodness I didn't run into somebody that buys this weird idea that we don't express opinions or give advice. If we didn't do those two things, we wouldn't have anything to say to each other, you know. I mean, I'm a newcomer in AA. I need some good advice. So. I get here at 37 years old, and on a good day, I've got the emotional development of a 16-year-old, and this kid is not an honor student. He's the one that's got a bit of a problem with authority. He's not mature beyond his years. He's not sensitive. He's touchy, which is a big <laughs> difference. I don't really feel what you feel. The only time what you, how you feel bothers me is when it bothers me. I'm not, I don't really, I'm not empathetic at any level. And I don't know any of this. I don't know this. And my contention is, is that what the problem that you and I have in sobriety is essentially that we're going to grow up now and we're a bit late. You know, that we all, every AA speaker talks about this feeling of separation he had long before he drank, you know, he or she, either one. We all tell that and we talk about it like it's an aspect of alcoholism. And I don't think that's correct at all. I think the ego, my understanding is the ego presents itself at about two and a half years old. A young baby is just a parasite and it has no consciousness that there's a separation between it and anything else. It, you can see it. If you've raised kids, if you've been around them, they really, they just kind of lay there. Then they discover at about two and a half and we have a name for it. It's called the terrible twos at about two and a half. This kid realizes that when I cry, they come. Mm -hmm. right? Now there's a they. Mm -hmm. The other thing about coming into AA, you can't be an alcoholic if you don't know who they are, right? <laughs> the ones that sent us here, That's the people right. that screwed us, those people. Well, at two and a half, the, the kid begins to manipulate this situation. Every time he or she wants something, it cries and it, it's delivered. It's amazing. So kids grow up and all kids, everybody, every human being has had this experience of sitting in a classroom somewhere, looking across the room and saying to themselves, if I had hair like that guy, I'd be better. If I was athletic like that guy, I'd be better. If I was taller like that guy, I'd be better. If I was white instead of black, I'd be better. If I wasn't a Mexican, I'd be better. All of us have that feeling. Everybody feels a sense of separation. Everybody compares themselves to other people, engages themselves as to where they should be compared to where they are. It's part of the human experience. It's just the way it is. It's not alcoholism. We are not that unique. We're just not that special. We don't have special thinking. We'll talk about there's alcoholic thinking as there is if as if there is such a thing. The professional community says that we're emotionally immature. And we hear that and we go, no, I have special thinking. 
I have alcoholic <laughs> thinking, and you need to consider that when you're dealing with me. That's right. I just simply don't think that's true. I think what happens to us is we drink, we have no control over when we're going to stop. We get a bang out of it that other people don't get. If they got the bang out of it like we did, they would drink more. And that's when things change then. Now we medicate ourselves through the learning experience. Usually we start drinking at 13 or 14 or 15 or 6, somewhere in there. Some of us are a little more advanced than others, but we start drinking. And when all the lessons are being handed out, when we're learning how to have relationships and stuff, we medicated that. I missed the entire event. You know, in my case, I never crossed the line. I went right down the rabbit hole at about 15 or 16 years old. At 17, I was a bad drunk in high school. At 22, I'm sticking needles in my arm and running with an outlaw motorcycle gang, and I end up in a mental institution. I was sitting there naked in my living room watching religious television, taking notes. I'm having sex menage a uno. There's no one else in the room. <laughs> I mean, it was a short party, very short party, and it lasted for 22 or 23 years. You do that to yourself, you're going to be messed up you know, physically and mentally, emotionally. And when I got here at 37, I looked like I was grown up, but I was not. And the journey has been about Bill growing up. So what spiritual condition look like? What are the aspects of it? This is really the point. Number one, powerlessness. Grasping powerlessness. Initially, just over the drugs and alcohol, just that. But the truth is, after 35 years of relatively deep research, everything, absolutely everything. I have no power or control over anything in my life, and I have trouble with that. And that's the source of all the suffering in my life. I look out in nature and I determine some things are right and some things are wrong. That does not exist in nature. We manufacture that. We create morality. We create good and bad. In nature, in the natural world, that simply doesn't exist. There is no justice or injustice. Things just are. And I have trouble with that. And I suffer. So the very first thing we learn in AA, powerlessness. In this spiritual path that we're in, very first step, powerlessness. As the years have gone by, that concept has become larger and larger and larger. I clearly have no control over you. I sit and I talk to you that if you were just a little bit different, the two of us would be a hell of a lot happier. And you just insist upon living your own life, and it pisses me off at my core. This is a long journey. At 10 years sober, she was standing in front of me and she said, you're not emotionally available for me. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? And by this time at 10 years sober, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. I'm not lying to stealing. I'm bringing home the money. I'm doing all the right stuff. On paper, I look really good. What the hell? And I looked at her and I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm standing right here. So you know what they mean when they say that to us? I've got something that they want, and I'm withholding it. The truth is worse. I don't have it. And I don't know that I don't have it. You've convinced me that I've got it, and I'm helping you look for it. Mm. And this dance is going to go on forever. And if all I do is go to 875,000 meetings, nothing is going to change. Nothing. Powerlessness. Powerlessness. Second thing, we have to stop blaming. We cannot continue to blame other people or institutions for our problems. It has to stop, especially the justifiable ones the ones that really look like they're really, someone really did something to me. At some point, we have to let go of that. 
spiritual people, well-balanced people, don't have resentment, guilt, blaming, all of that, everything that goes along with that. And in the inventory, we address that, don't we? In the inventory, we make a list of resentments, fears, and broken relationships, the end result of living a life with seeming power. And what are we looking for in that inventory? The fourth column. It says, what are my faults and mistakes? Doesn't really say my part. There may be a part, but what are my faults and mistakes? Even if, if I'm still hanging on to a justifiable resentment at 40, years, at 40 years old, at the very bare minimum, I'm unforgiving. And I will never be free. And it's not about the perpetrator, is it? It's about what I feel inside. And it takes up an immense amount of consciousness. So blaming has to be an aspect, one of the underpinnings of spiritual condition. It has to stop. Within that, I realize in that process that absolutely nothing is personal. The third part of spiritual condition. Nothing is personal. Things are just happening, and I happen to be in the room. You're just doing what you do, and I happen to be present for the incident. You're not doing anything to me. You're just doing what you do. Nobody's ever doing anything to me. It's just happening, and I'm in the blast radius. The grasping of that is key. It's critical. This is the beginning of the death of the egoic construct of who I think I am. These are the things that make my personality, the things I hate, the things I disagree with, the opinions that I have, the power I think I have. This defines me. And as this begins to fall apart, as I go down the spiritual path, which is essentially about disidentification with self, this begins to happen. I begin to, that, that construct begins to crumble. What AA does in any really good spiritual path is it subtracts in you, from you, whatever is stopping you from seeing that you already have everything you need. There's nothing to go get. There never has been anything missing. That feeling of separation I had when I was a kid, was it real? No. It's delusional. It's part of the ego. It's part of the fight or flight thing, which is constantly warning us about things that are happening. It worked really good when we're out on the savanna and there were saber-toothed tigers out there. In the urban living, it doesn't do us much good. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, yes, sure, there's fears, but I don't really need this thing. And so was that feeling of separation real? No, not at all. I can't possibly be separate from nature, ever. That's physically and literally impossible. I am connected to everything. One of my teachers told me, I was talking about how we're all, we're all one. There's no self. He goes, Bill, it's everything. It's not just other people. You know, it's everything. We're connected to everything. We're part of whatever it is. And we feel the need as human beings to define this it, which kind of loses a lot in translation, you know. Self-awareness comes, number four, in spiritual condition. The ability to watch yourself move through life. Self-awareness as compared to self-obsession. When the egoic structure begins to fall away, the self-obsession begins to go and awareness sets in where I develop the skill of the watcher, being able to watch myself move through life. This is a big deal. This is a big shift. In meditation, you can watch yourself think. You can focus on the, on the breath going in and out of your nose. And in this egoic thing that presented itself at two and a half years, it doesn't like anything about being in the present moment. There's nothing for it to do. And in AA, we talk about it in the third person, don't we? We say things like, my head is out to get me. It's not trying to hurt me. It's trying to help. It's just stupid. I mean, it needs me for transportation. It's not trying to kill me, right? <laughs> it, or else it wouldn't exist. And it can't imagine itself not existing. That's why it fears death. It can't imagine that it would someday would not exist. That's just beyond you know, that's the ultimate fear, the ultimate fear. So in meditation, when you focus on the breath, the mind wanders away, you notice that it has wandered away and you gently bring it back to the breath. Absolute conclusive proof that you are not your thinking mind. This changes the entire game. Everything changes at this point. It becomes astoundingly real 
that this is not about me, which is shocking, really, you know, because we're always working on ourselves, you know. I mean, it's like I can finally now, when that happened, I can finally stop working on myself. I'm just feeding the beast. It'll take any kind of attention it can get. All I really have to do is ignore it. Now that I've developed the watcher, and meditation is a great way to develop this skill. It's a very achievable thing. You can watch yourself think. It's stunning when you finally realize what's going on, that this is not who you are. You know, the essence of what you are is something else. I told at this one guru, I said, so, then who we are is the watcher. And he says, no. And I said, well, shit. And he went, precisely, it is very difficult. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I mean, you can read a lot of great books about it and stuff, but the fact that you realize that all I have to do is ignore this thing. I don't have to work on it. I don't have to write about it. I don't have to share about it with every living human being that crosses my path. I can just simply ignore it. And at this point, you begin to laugh at yourself in a really very kind of kind and loving way. You know, you can see your little foibles and stuff, and they don't go away. You just become very aware of it. You don't have to make a list of your character defects. Now that you're awake and you have some awareness, they will come and visit you with alarming regularity. That's right. And and now that you can see it, it's really difficult to keep doing it. You will, but every time you do it, you walk away from it and you just feel dumb. You know, it's like, I did it again. And the final thing is, the ultimate thing about spiritual condition and all of these other things that we've discussed tonight, they come all together in compassion. Compassion happens. And what you and I have been really missing, truly missing, is compassion. Self-centeredness precludes compassion. There's no room for me feeling how you feel when all I ever feel is how I feel. And when this egoic structure begins to crumble, when the sense of self, of who you think you are, begins to fall apart, compassion happens. It just happens. And offshoots of compassion, patience, tolerance, transparency. Now, if you're sitting out there tonight and you've had some experience some years of sponsoring people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You may not have heard it expressed like this, but you know exactly what I'm talking about because this is what happened to me. In this process of working with others, somewhere along the line, against my will, I fell in love with you. Now, the first 10 years I was in AA, I was motivated by self. I was working diligently to make a name for myself in an anonymous organization. And what happened is that fell apart. I had some kind of an emotional and mental collapse at 10, 11 years sober. And coming out of that was a lot of realization. There was a big inventory. There was a lot of stuff that happened. And that's when I realized that somewhere in that process, I had fallen in love with you. It didn't matter what my motivation was. The the impact of doing this work happened to me. I was awakened, and I sometimes fall back to sleep. And in that awakening, as the years have gone by, it has evolved into an awareness where I'm aware that I'm awake. So in the process of sitting one-on-one with you and reading the book and sharing our lives together, that was an intimate act. That is a very intimate act. It's filled with patience and loving kindness and sympathy and empathy. And we learn that in AA, and then slowly and kind of painfully, we bring it home to our homes where we live. I don't know why it's so difficult that way, but it seems to be. There's some game being played. I believe that this ego structure that I've created is defending itself against that because it begins to crack and fall apart under the weight of this compassion, this falling in love. If we don't do this work, this is my belief. If we don't do this work, 10, 11, and 12 
are 85 to 90% of the program. One through nine is just the bare minimum. It's not the work that people talk about. 10, 11, and 12, self-awareness, spiritual practice of some sort, some kind of meditation, something to get closer to this power that we can't define, but we feel the need to. Because what this power is, is an experience, isn't it? It's experiential. It's not intellectual. It's something that we experience in AA. You experience it. And we feel the need to put some kind of label on it, some kind of structure or a religion or something, which is all okay. But the experience is so stunning, it really doesn't matter what we apply to it. Alan Watts said, true faith is not knowing, having no belief structure, and having that be okay. That's kind of where I am. Is there a higher power? Yes. Everything outside of me is more powerful than me. There's no doubt about that. That's just a logical thought progression. You know, it's like, my, I've lived that. I know that for a fact that there's a power greater than me. Alcoholics Anonymous is one of them, but there are many powers greater than I am. You know, there's no doubt about that. But when we start working with others in that 12th step, the 12th step is the mechanism that's used to bring the enlightening. Faith without works truly is completely dead and impotent if there's no manifestation of it. So you and I are in an organization where people's lives are saved every day. Every day, people's lives are saved. Stop and think about this. The mechanism that's used to save those lives? Us. It's us. We are truly the instrument of God's will. Now, you'll hear some people say that AA is a beginning or an entry-level spiritual program. Don't listen to them. Think about, here's one example, and there are many. Jesus, Jesus the Christ. Where did he spend his time? He was out in the street with the hookers and thieves. He didn't spend a lot of time in the synagogue unless he was chasing out the moneylenders, right? So, and that's you and me, isn't it? Isn't that Alcoholics Anonymous? We're out in the street with the hookers and the thieves, you know? And if Jesus ever comes back, if he does, he'll be sitting in the back row of some Milano club and he'll be looking like shit. And if we're not paying attention, we'll miss him completely, you know? And that's where we are. This is where we are, you know? And where do you learn compassion? Sponsoring people, clearly. And after a while, what you realize that you aren't the teacher. Sometimes you are. But everyone that comes to you is the next teacher. They bring something to the table. I'm just there. Nothing's personal. I'm just in the room in the blast radius. And here comes another one, you know. That's why you don't send any of them away. You have no idea why they're coming. You know, whatever prejudice you have will walk across the room and ask you for help, and you'll have to confront it. A guy walked across the room one day years ago, 30-plus years ago, and he asked me to sponsor him. He says, I think I should tell you I'm gay. And I said, wouldn't you rather have a gay sponsor? And he says, no. He says, I got the gay thing down pretty good. But <laughs> drinking is kicking my ass, right? I remember, I remember driving home after that that night laughing to myself going, man, Bill, you have no idea what's going on here, man. You know, it's like just, and they keep coming. They're the next teacher in line, the next teacher in line. And what is that? Compassion. I didn't know that I didn't have any. And then when I got some compassion, I didn't realize it for years until I looked back and realized what was going on and how my life had changed. So spiritual condition, powerlessness, the stopping of blaming others, Nothing, absolutely nothing is personal. Everything's just happening. Self-awareness, compassion. Thank you. Once again, thank you, Mr. Bill C. That was absolutely fantastic. If you were listening to this and you believe that episode would benefit either you uh, and or a family member, please Pause your device and share it with that friend or family member. It may be just what they need to hear 
today. And if you don't know how to do that and you want to email me at john, J-O-H-N, at silverspeak.com, uh, I can try my best to coach you through it, but uh, it's a little share button in your device. Once again, not like a sunny and share, but share, S-H-A-R-E. All right. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback for you, a little bit of a listener de la feedback, de la sober speak. Something like that? I think I messed that up, but you get the idea. All right. Tara Post in the Super Secret Facebook group. She says, by the way, if you're not in the Super Secret Facebook group and you would like to be a member of the Super Secret Facebook group, um, just send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I can get you out the invite that you so desire. Tara posts in the Super Secret Facebook group. She says, today, I have one year of sobriety. Now, we get a lot of these celebrations in there, but for whatever reason, this one stu- stood out to me. She says, it really does work if I work it. And it doesn't when I don't. I have learned that the hard way. I love my fellowship, my sponsorship, family, and doing the work, even when it's hard or I don't understand it. Been listening to this podcast all year, and I'm so grateful for the perspective it has brought to my sobriety, it is a constantly it is constantly a highlight of my week. Thank you, John M. and all the guests. Much love from Philadelphia, from Philly. Well, thank you, Tara from Philly, and I'm so glad that we can be part of your journey. Congratulations on that one year. That is absolutely fantastic. Now. Joe F. posted a kind of a, I don't know what you call it, like a a starter post. Um, You know, the uh, Jeff Foxworthy thing that says you may be a redneck, you may be a redneck if dot, 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 kind of fill in the blanks. Well, Joe started a a post and it says you may be an alcoholic if dot, dot, dot. And then Joe posted, you may be an alcoholic if you wake up with a hickey and a black eye. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, there's probably, I, I don't know, 50, 75, 100 different posts that came into there. I'm just picking out a few, but, you know, we got to have a little bit of fun with this. Yolana, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Y-L-A-N-A, the Y could be silent? I don't know. But anyway, she says, you may be an alcoholic if... You have ever tried to stab someone with a spoon? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that uh, uh, that was just hilarious to me. I, you know, and I know that there are going to people going to be people out there listening to this, and they're probably non-alcoholic who go, well, "That is not funny at all." P- perhaps some of the Alanons, I don't know, but nonetheless, I just think that's hilarious. Uh, Joe F posts again, and he says. You may be an alcoholic if you have ever sunburned the roof of your mouth. (laughs) Uh, Yolana writes in and she says, you may be an alcoholic if you have a favorite vintage of mouthwash. (laughs) Um, Joe F writes in again and he says, you may be an alcoholic if... You have ever been arrested while already in jail. (laughs) Oh, and last but not least of just a few that I picked out of this bunch, Sheila wrote in and she says, you may be an alcoholic if you ever received a DUI for stopping at a green light. And I completely get that. Miss Sheila. Anyway, I just wanted to share a few of those. All right. Allison writes in and she says, hello, John. I was introduced to your podcast about three weeks ago and have greatly benefited from the many speakers I have heard. I started at the beginning and I just finished episode 40 today. 
It's become a daily need. Well, I am so happy you found us, Allison, and I'm so happy that we found you as well. I am 55 and began going to Al-Anon about two and a half years ago. A nice woman offered to be my sponsor, but at the time, I had no clue what that really meant. Fast forward two and a half years and another family crisis, I reached out to the woman who made the offer for sponsorship And before we could meet, she offered a couple of podcasts that might be helpful. Sober Speak and The Recovery Show. Well, you know, we just had uh, Spencer on our, and Spencer is the host of The Recovery Show. We just had him on our uh, podcast a a few weeks ago or so. So, And we're probably going to, and I'm sure we're going to have him back again. Anyway, she says, I haven't finished the big book yet. That's my first assignment, but I have... Such a better understanding now of, quote, the program, unquote, because of your show. Well, I'm glad that we can serve as a educational tool. That is great. Uh, it re- it's really about working the steps. You got it, Miss Allison. Not just meetings and not just stopping drinking. Now it is all making sense to me. Well, that, that makes my day, Miss Allison. Uh, it is my hope and prayer for my loved one to have the willingness to reach out for help. As a veteran, he has suffered with PTSD and alcohol dependency for many years. I've learned that I can't do this for him, but I can encourage him and try to find resources to help him. But it's up to him. You are right about that, Miss Allison. I would appreciate John being part of your super secret Facebook group. Uh, And as you know, we got you in there. One thing that concerns me the most is the potential homelessness of my loved one if he doesn't get the help he needs. As I've listened to the stories on the show, I haven't heard the details of someone who has been on the street and made their way to recovery and being back on their feet as a functioning citizen that's able to hold a job and to be self-sufficient without help from a loved one, family, or friend. Well, Miss Allison, I know... Gosh, I can't think of who it is off the top of my head, but I know we've had those people and I know they're in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, uh, Just keep listening to the episodes. You'll find some of them. Um, But anyway, I appreciate you uh, and that concern. I just don't know how the chasm can be crossed without help. I guess that's that's where the halfway house comes into play, question mark. Anyway, I digress. I'm glad to have your show as a resource for hope. Oh. That's a very nice way to phrase that. Take care and keep up the good work. Allison from a small town in Texas. Well, I don't know which small town you're in, Miss Allison, but I'm sure glad you found us. And like I said, I'm sure glad we found you. Susan writes in and she says, "Uh, I just recently found your podcast and I love it. I'm so glad there are so many topics to choose from. I have really enjoyed listening to these while I take my daily walks. Well, Susan, my guess is you are listening to this. You are listening to this while you are on a daily walk right now, and I hope that you are enjoying the outdoors. She says, "I've shared the podcast with many of my AA friends. Thank you, and keep up the great work!" Exclamation point. Thank you, Susan, for writing in. Clara writes in on the Instagram. She says, "I love your podcast. Best wishes from." Ireland. Well, thank you, Claire from Ireland. Ireland, you know, that is the birthplace of alcoholism from what I understand. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I got that from Bill C. Nonetheless, uh, uh, thank you for writing in, Claire. Lisa posted in on the Super Secret Facebook group, and I bring this up only because it's a very short post. But Lisa posted and she says, uh, I'm sober for seven days. It seems so hard and crazy. So she posted that in the super secret Facebook group and you would not believe the reaction that she got from just that one post. So many comments, uh, uh, some feedback, some experience, some strength, some hope. It's a little bit of everything, but you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that Lisa, you had the vulnerability to come into a group like that 
and to post your comments and to let people give you feedback, especially in this time of uncertainty and social distancing. I hope the feedback that you got uh, was helpful nonetheless. All right, everybody, that is Uno Mas Week. Oh, how do you say week in Spanish? Uno Mas. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, that is one more week of Sober Speak listener feedback and Sober Speak another episode. You know what I'm trying to say. God bless you. Love you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And we will be back next week. Uh, I know I'm going to have this one done. This will be with uh, uh, the Q&A from Bill C. Live. And it's a longer episode than actually this one. The the Q&A lasted uh, quite a bit of time, and uh, you're going to want to tune in for that one. God bless you. Uh, Hope to see and talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.